1: Is it possible that a family of misfits called upon the power of the slug to wipe out their enemies? And then we travel down a lonely country road to come upon the scene of a terrible car accident, which begs us to ask the question Does everyone on Earth have a guardian angel? Or are some people just left to the whims of fate? Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. Hope you guys are having a great day, too. Hope you guys are staying warm, because I'm freezing. I'm so cold, and I can't run any heaters because they're too loud. So I'm just going to complain about it as I record this podcast. But someone who never complains, walking into Dead Rabbit Command right now. Our newest Patreon supporters, everyone give a big, warm round of applause for Okulanda, okulanda come on into Come command in, shut the door shut the door you're letting the heat out okulanda you're gonna be our captain our pilot this episode if you guys can't support the patreon i totally get it just help spread the word about the show that really really helps out a lot we also have a merch store and i have an amazon wish list <laughs> if you want to buy me a book if you want to buy me a spooky book you can check that out but if you don't want to spend any money on me that's fine too just spread the word about the show Okulanda, I'm going to go ahead and toss you the keys to the Jason Jalopy. We're going to turn on the heater and we're going to hop on inside. Let's leave behind Dead Rabbit Command. We're headed all the way out to my house. It's like right around the corner. We could have just walked there to waste the gas, but we're here. We're at my dumpster is specifically where we're going. I talked about this on my TikTok. I posted this yesterday on my TikTok, but I wanted to go into more detail. I was taking my trash out the other day, and as I was cramming my garbage into this dumpster, the garbage people haven't come to empty it because of the stupid winter storm. There, luckily, at the top of the trash, I didn't have to dig through a bunch of chicken bones to get it, but it... But to be fair, it was in the dumpster. It did have trash on it. Was a Mason's hat. It, was like, it wasn't like was like a Shriner's cap. Man, that would have been a cool find, but it's a baseball cap with the Mason's logo on it. You know, like the compass and the G. There's a specific term for it. It's called like the S and C, or like the Scales and Compass logo is what it's called. And I'm looking at it, and I'm like, what? Is this real? Pinch me, pinch me, i a pinch of myself. No, it's cool. Like, I do collect baseball caps. I've talked about it before on my show. I collect all sorts of hats, but mostly baseball caps. But here's this mason's cap. So I put my garbage in, and then I pulled that one out took it home. That's the end of the story. It's not like a ghost of a mason showed up last night or anything like that. I just think it's really interesting. I I, I talked about it on TikTok. I posted it on TikTok, and I made a joke. I kind of got to be specific. It was a joke that I'm going to wear it so cops don't pull me over, and then I'm going to wear it to court hearings so the judge will let me go. The reason why I have to specify it's a joke, because apparently, I did some research on this, (laughs) it is illegal in some states. I haven't checked out Oregon specifically yet, but it's illegal in some states to pretend you are a Mason. This is a weird... Isn't that weird? Like, the law doesn't say... You can't be a Mason, but it does specify you can't lie that you're a member of a group and it shows like fraternal orders is one of the ones that is... You can't say that you're a Mason and not actually be one of those dudes. So um, I, I I will say this. I'll probably end up wearing it because I do collect hats and it's definitely a oddity of a hat. But what, what it means is that other Masons will come up to me. They'll be like hiding in the bushes and they'll skulk out. And they'll ask you questions to see if you're really a mason and what makes it illegal, apparently. It, whether or not, they used to enforce these laws, right? I found a story from, like, 1930 of a guy who went to jail for this. But, I mean, again, it was 1930. People were going to jail for all sorts of stuff. But uh, nowadays, I'm I, on the record books, like they were saying, like, Maryland, you get, like, a $100 fine. Whether or not anyone actually gets prosecuted for this stuff I don't know, I guess I'll find out soon when I'm doing my just put in jail dead rabbit radio special. A Mason walks up to you and they'll ask you questions. They'll they're, they're, apparently there's some like Mason questions and they'll be like, where's the jar at on Sunday? And I would be like, indubitably, it's the grape level. Like there's like a code. I don't know. I don't know any of that stuff. Right. So if I'm wearing the Mason cap and someone comes up to me and starts asking me questions, they're like, where's the bathroom? I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm not a Mason. I'm not a Mason. They're like, no, seriously, I have to go to the bathroom. As long as I don't pretend to be a Mason, I guess it's legit. Maybe (laughs) I guess we'll find out when I get arrested for wearing this Mason's hat. Yeah, because it's a copyrighted symbol. It's weird. But then I thought, you know, I have that Israeli police hat that I bought a long time ago. I talked about that on a previous episode and people would come up to me and go, are you from Israel or are you Israeli? Usually, usually it was other Israeli people who'd be like, and then I'd be like, no, I just bought the hat. And they'd always be like, oh, I thought I made a friend. But, um, I think as long as I don't claim to be an Israeli police officer or claim to be a, a Mason guy. But it, it, what's interesting, like, no one, I never got prosecuted for pretending to be a cop when I wore the Israeli police hat. But the, like, if I'm, if I saw someone wearing a Mason's hat, I guess, let me ask you this. Would you assume they were a Mason? I don't know if I would, because if I see someone wearing like a Los Angeles Raiders hat or L.A., what are they now, the Las Vegas Raiders? You don't assume they're members of the team. You assume they're fans of the Raiders or, or they're criminals from the 1990s. If you saw someone with the Masons hat, would you assume they're a Mason? You're already like, Jason, don't even finish the sentence. Obviously, that's what people think. Or maybe they're just fans of the Masons. Maybe they're fans of the work. I don't know. I don't like if I see someone wearing a hat that says "Army" on it. I don't always assume they're in the army. And if I see someone wearing a hat that says like "SWAT" on it, I never assume they're a SWAT person because they're standing, they're ordering Taco Bell at one in the morning. So it's interesting that you don't get prosecuted for impersonating a SWAT officer or impersonating, you know, a member of the the, the Raiders team. But I, I, there might be more of a thing. I don't think many people who are wearing sports gear try to pass themselves off as members of the New England Patriots. But if you had a Mason's hat on, I think the key would be, am I pretending to be a Mason or I'm just wearing a hat I found in the garbage? So anyways, I now have a Mason's hat. It may show up in a live stream at some point. Who knows? Uh, I may end up in prison because of it. Uh, who knows? Well, I guess. I guess the future is our oyster. We will see what happens with my garbage hat. I, I'm wondering why the person threw it away. Did they move out? Did someone find it? I don't know. I guess. I guess we will find out. Um, I keep. I keep saying that. I can almost be assured that when I say find out, something something bad will happen again. Either a bunch of masons will break in my house and beat me up for impersonating them. Or anything from that to me getting lice. Because, again, I did find a baseball cap in the trash. But I will keep you updated. I will keep you updated as to the court hearings or beatings or lice infestation. Whichever way happens, you will know about it. Okulanda, let's go ahead and toss you the keys to the dead rabbit dirgeable. We're going to leave behind my dumpster. We're going to leave behind a great way to start this episode. We're leaving behind this dumpster. We're headed all the way out too. The Midwest. There's this really cool, relatively new subreddit called the Church of Charles Fort. I'll put the link in the show notes. If you guys don't know who Charles Fort is, he's the guy. He back like when was it? It was the early 1900s. He started publishing all these books, like the Book of the Damned. He his name has become his name has become synonymous with. Weird weirdness and high strangeness. There's that magazine, Fortian Times. The term Fortian is basically the study of the bizarre. So, Charles Fort was one of the very first guys to start compiling records of frogs falling from the sky, mysterious events, fairies, things like that. It's really, really good stuff. He's basically the Jacques Valet of his time period just someone who was really enthusiastic about figuring out how the world worked and how this, all this paranormal stuff started. And there's this new subreddit called the church of Charles Fort. And they, they're posting a lot of really good stuff. They're posting a lot of really good stuff there. I recently just became a mod. I was recently talking to the guy who started it, uh, a user going by the name of cold black water. And he goes, I just want to cover obscure stuff. I don't want to cover stuff that's been told a hundred times. And I was like, can I help you? Can I please, please be a part of your team? So graciously, he let me be a mod on that, and we really want to... This will be great, because we need more things like this. I'm tired of hearing about Bermuda Triangle. I'm tired of hearing about the same stories over and over and over again. So, and this is one of the... I had never heard this story before. So thanks for posting this, and and hopefully this subreddit, we, we get more great stuff like that. There is an article written by a researcher named T. Peter Park about the Lincoln legend. Here's the story. In the late 1890s, in the Midwest of the United States, there's a small town. It's unnamed. This is a story that T. Peter Park heard himself back in the 1960s. And it was a friend of a friend who was there. It was my doctor knew someone who witnessed these events. And he was fascinated by this story. He always seemed to be one step behind of the actual legend. And no one could ever specify when it happened outside of like the late 1890s or where it happened. But he heard this story so many times he, he had to get to the bottom of it. In the late 1890s in this unnamed small Midwestern town, a family of strangers move into town. A horse comes walking in, buggy, like stagecoach stuff. A dad, <laughs> go down, slow horse, slow horse, time to stop. And then the, the there's a mom sitting next to him and being like, oh, I guess we're here now. And then in the back of this wagon, there's a daughter and these two sons. And they're like stretching. They're like, ah, oh, it's finally nice to be home. And the townspeople are like, who are these total weirdos? Because what they're looking at is the Lincoln family. They all shared these weird characteristics. They were all. The, the, word that's kind of, the word that's kind of summed up to explain all five of them is froggish. They were described as being very froggish people. They were squat bodied people with ugly faces and sickly white skin. Their eyes seemed to bulge out of their sockets, and they had broad foreheads. <laughs> out of all of those I don't even know why they mentioned the foreheads. That's fine. I know a lot of people with broad foreheads. but anyways like that just seems like such a de-escalation considering the fact you described them as frogs. it's not like you're like and then kids wait for this. They had really big foreheads. Oh, that's so spooky like you could could have just left that part out and these guys are just kind of walking around town and but here's the thing man looks aren't everything right? like even if you were even if you did look like an ugly frog. Whatever, like, maybe you're a really hard worker. Maybe you're a nice guy. They weren't. (laughs) They weren't at all. So not only did they look like froggish people, they also were, were very unfriendly. But, okay, they're unfriendly. You might be unfriendly, too, if everyone described you as looking like a human frog. But it's not just that they were ugly. It's not just that they were unfriendly. They also were super, super creepy. What people would see is every so often, a member of the Lincoln family would be spotted walking around town late at night, looking into windows, and then disappearing back into the shrubs. Maybe you're walking with your special girl through town square, and you see some movement in the distance. Very frog-like movement. You're like, oh no, here they come, so you got to cut your date short. You don't even get to first base, and baseball hadn't even been invented yet. But what are you going to do, right? They're weirdos, and they look weird, and they're kind of mean, but, you know, what are you going to do? What Are you, you going to run them outside of town just because they're a bunch of weirdos? Nah, just let them be. Let them be. They're not really hurting anybody. Well, that was kind of the idea. But in 1896, one of the Lincoln boys specifically starts stalking the daughter of a prominent local family. So there's this young maiden, she's sitting there, fixing her hair, it's all curly and stuff, and the frog man, he's not actually a frog man, but this Lincoln, we'll call him Charlie, starts stalking the young daughter of a prominent local family, but stalking is just not cutting it anymore. He's tired of just hiding in the bushes, staring through the window while she's sleeping. He wants the real thing. So one night he tracks her down and rapes her and murders her. And the town's like, okay, that's enough, right? We shouldn't even let it get this far, but it's done. So they lynch the kid. They There's no trial. It's the 1890s. They chase him down. He was hiding at the lagoon. He's, he's sitting on the lily pad. No one will suspect that the frog person is here. They grab him. They lynch him. It's over with. At the young man's funeral the lincoln family is there as well as other town officials for some reason i guess they're rubbing it in right they they lynched him they murdered him i don't know why they're attending his funeral ah uh, we'll always remember the great time we had hanging you as they're at the funeral the father of the clan of the lincoln clan curses the town the whole town will regret this how dare you kill how dare you kill my son who raped and murdered that woman how dare you? And then he had this slug in his hand, and he throws the slug at the dead girl's father and says, this, this is your doom. And the family storms out from the funeral. Now, I ima- that would be horrible, right? I mean, like all of it. <laughs> all of it, getting a slug thrown at you on your birthday would be awful. But getting a slug thrown at you, being cursed by the father of the kid who raped and murdered your daughter, It'd be awful in any situation. But anyways, I just imagine like this slug hitting the dude and they're just kind of tumbling down his clothes and him being like, uh, and if that's the worst you got, then I'm not worried. But it wasn't the worst they had. What happens shortly afterwards is the dead girl's father is found dead. And shortly after that, the girl who'd been raped and murdered, her own brother is found dead. But it wasn't just that they were dead. It's tragic. It was how they died. Both the father and the brother were found squished. Just pulped. They were just so... Like, all over the place. They're all gooed, right? And not only were they basically turned into pie filling, they were covered in slime. So you have two bodies that both look like someone stepped into a bowl of raviolis and kept walking... And then you have like this slug like slime covering them. So <laughs> that's alarming, right? And people immediately think that the Lincolns had something to do with it. Then the townspeople start to see the dead Lincoln boy walking around town. Everyone knew what he looked like, everyone knew what he looked like because he was constantly looking in their windows. He's seen around town, and what that's alarming, right? So now we have a revenge. We have a sluggy revenge. We have a possible ghost, a revenant, walking around town, and people who see him start to go insane. So the townspeople are like, enough's enough, right? We should have kicked him out when they first showed up, but we had opened hearts. We should have kicked him out when they started stalking people, but we didn't. We should have kicked the rest of the family out when one of their sons brutally assaulted this young woman, we got this family members turned inside out, and now people are going and saying, what else will it take? They march to the young man's grave now to make sure that he's actually dead. And when they're walking towards his grave, they notice something. There's a set of footprints headed the opposite direction from his grave. So the idea is that he got out and he walked away. But they just walked past that. They still got to know for sure. They open up the grave. His body is not in it. Shortly after that, the Lincolns moved away. They left town, which is what the townspeople really wanted in the first place, but they just kept letting this problem prolong. But ever since then, every natural disaster that befalls the town, the Lincolns are blamed for it. Natural disasters, droughts, floods, it's all blamed on the Lincoln curse. Very, very interesting urban legend. It's actually super detailed for an urban legend. but we ha- And it's pretty original for an urban legend as well. Urban legends, for the most part, are universal. The Phantom Hitchhiker, you'll find that everywhere. The uh, story about the baby, you're <laughs> like, please stop bringing this up. The story about the baby in the microwave, very common urban legend where the babysitter takes acid. I was talking to Stuart Meatball. He is a longtime listener of the show, and he lives in Scotland. And I asked him, is that an urban legend in Scotland? And he goes, well, an interesting difference. Acid apparently isn't as readily available in Scotland as it is in America. Heroin is the drug of choice. It's very cheap. So in their version of the story, the babysitter does heroin and accidentally puts the turkey in the bed and the baby in the oven. So we have those details. This story seems so regional. And what's fascinating about it is... The story exists. The story's not some fictional account that was made up. It existed at one point and people told it to each other, but it's always if you let's say T Peter Park heard this story back in 1966 when he was at the University of Virginia and he was always told it was this town, it was this other town it was happening in. It's never the town you're in. It's my uncle knew a woman who heard this story before because she grew up in this town. Or her her grandpa grew up in this town. There's always this weird connection, but it's never where you're at. It's never the person you're hearing it from. Really, really interesting urban legend. And it's existed for enough that when T. Peter Park was investigating it, not only was he finding other people who had heard of the story, but people were falsifying documents. People were actually trying to mislead him. People were actually falsifying documents, writing fake letters, because he was really searching for this. And people were like, oh, yeah, I have some letters from my grandpa's trunk or something. And he sent these to this researcher, and they turned out to be fake. Because Where's this even come from? It's really, really interesting. The, the article is quite long. I really wanted to focus on the urban legend itself, but I'll put in the show notes the article to show the investigation he did to try to figure out what part of the story is true, where it came from, and things like that. But in the end, spoiler alert, he's never able to find out any more information than he really had in the beginning. That being, there's a story of a family called the Lincolns who came into a town and tragedy befell all the residents of this sleepy, unnamed Midwestern town. Very, very interesting urban legend. You have to wonder, is it one that did have some truth to it? going back into the 1890s this is such a regional story parts of it if it parts of it may have been in the local news but if that newspaper went under if that newspaper stopped publishing at a certain point they would have no archives for us to go back to maybe this is one of those stories that there are elements of it that's true a weird family came into town their son assaulted someone and the son was lynched that stuff unfortunately happens. that Not him getting lynched. He shouldn't be assaulting and murdering people, but it's, it's interesting because there could, this could be one of those stories that does have a lot of truthful elements in it, but over time, it's become monstrous and supernatural. Either way, it's pretty much lost to history at this point. It's always creepy when you have stories about vengeance from beyond the grave, but the person coming back to wreck vengeance is actually the bad guy in the story in the first place. So it's like, he was evil in life, and now he's even more evil in death, and there's no stopping him, because how do you kill something that's already dead? Okulanda, let's go ahead and toss you the keys of the carpenter copter. We're leaving behind this small midwestern town. Uh, the Lincolns are throwing slugs at us. We're like, run, run, run! Let's get out of here. We're leaving behind this town. We're headed all the way out to another, another unnamed location. <laughs> This story is not an urban legend but it is a story. A lot of times when people post things online, they don't want to give away too much information. A lot of times people don't want to put information in they think may lead back to them. So I, I understand that. I would like this information but I understand that. I found this online. It was written by someone who goes by the name Proof Test 4150 We're going to call him Terry. We're going to call him Terry But if that's Accurate, it's just a stab in the dark. It's a really interesting story, and I want to jump into the meat of it. In 1998, Terry is driving down this country road, and he's sitting in the back seat, and then you have the driver and the passenger up front, both friends of his, and they're coming up to a four-way stop. But, I can't believe people still do this, or ever did it, some idiots thought it would be funny, clever, I don't know what it is. They removed the four stop signs. So now you basically are just waiting for people to die. It's, this is not a funny prank. It's super dangerous. They removed the four stop signs, and Terry and his friends are driving down this road, and they come to this intersection. They just get T-boned by this other car going 60 miles an hour. Now, Terry comes to, and he's covered in his own blood. He's sitting in the back seat. He's covered in his own blood he he says that he had been unconscious for about 30 minutes. I don't know if that's the case. I think that that that's a long time to be unconscious. I think simply getting T-boned by another car going 60 miles an hour is going to distort your sense of time. But whatever the thing is, he's sitting in this car, he's covered in his own blood, and the driver of his car, his friend, is in so much pain he can't even speak. He's just kind of making these noises and Terry's sitting back there and he oh my god like what what is going on like you know what's going on but you're still in shock and his buddy is just just kind of groaning and his other friend Terry's other friend is outside of the vehicle pacing back and forth now this story again takes place in 1998 so and so we don't have cell phones i mean they existed but they were so rare you don't have cell phones you're out in the country it's almost like you just got to wait Maybe send someone to a nearby house to make a phone call. If you have that wherewithal, there's a lot of people in shock. You're just kind of waiting. It would be awful. And at this point, the driver starts screaming. So now things have gotten worse, right? Your poor buddy up there is in so much pain he can't even do anything but gurgle. And now he's screaming and Terry's sitting in the back seat. And that's when a older man walks up. It wasn't like... Methuselah or anything like that, but older than these guys were. These guys were like in their early 20s. This dude walks up and asks Terry, hey, do you need anything? Do you need any help? And in in a state of shock, Terry obviously needs some help, but he's like, I think my friend's dying. Can you help my friend? Can you help my friend? And this older man who's in his 40s is standing outside the car and goes, yeah, do you want me to pray with you? Do you want me to pray for the driver with you? And Terry's like, yeah, please. So they begin to pray and This man is just kind of consoling Terry and keeping him comfortable and everything's going to be okay, you're going to be okay, and and Terry's just distraught and he's worried more about other people than himself. This man stands there the entire time talking to him, even when the firefighters finally show up and they have to cut Terry out of the car. The car is so mingled up, he can't get out on his own. They have to cut him out of the car. The man is always just standing there and then after Terry is removed from the car, The man just kind of leaves the scene. Weeks later, weeks have passed now, and everyone's fine, everyone's totally fine. The friend's still screaming weeks later, Hey, everybody, how's it going? A couple weeks later, the friends get together, and they're kind of talking about what would happen, because what else would you talk about, right? This is kind of going to be your main subject for a while. They start talking about everything that happened, and the two friends are like, Hey, Terry, you know, we've been meaning to talk to you. We were waiting for all the blood to get cleaned up, and us to be... Helped from the hospital, but what was up with you in the back seat? And Terry's like, What are you talking about? And they're like, Well, well, I was busy screaming because I was in so much pain. And this dude was outside walking around the car trying to figure out what to do, but you were just in the back seat, just kind of mumbling to yourself. He's like, What are you talking about? I was talking to that guy who came up to the car, and that's the two friends kind of look at each other and we're like, Yeah, you keep saying that, and you said it then. You kept saying, thank you, sir. Thank you for staying with me. There was no one there. There was no one there this whole time. We don't know what you were talking about. And Terry starts to think, whoa, was that like a guardian angel? Or or did I just suffer massive brain damage? Like, what was that? He knew the guy was there. He knew for a fact this guy was there. But fast forward 20 years. Terry never forgot what this guy looked like. It was a pivotal moment in his life. It was was a stranger who stayed with him until he was okay. In one of the scariest moments of his life, the stranger stayed with him. But one day, Terry looked in the mirror, and the man stared back at him. He realized this man who had come to the car, (laughs) I should have described earlier, I shouldn't have described it, he looked like, here, pretend this happened. The man walked up to the car, and he had a shaved head. And a beard. So now <laughs> I'm too lazy. Clip that out and put that in the episode somewhere. Terry's looking in the mirror. Over the years, he had ended up shaving his head. He's like, ah, you know, I'm going to go for this cool Jason Statham look. And over the years, he said, you know what? I want to be like Kratos from God of War. I'm going to grow a big old beard <laughs> from, the, from the new versions, from the PS5 versions. I'm going to grow a big beard. And so one day, he looks in the mirror with this shaved head and his beard. And he looks up and he goes, It's you! he realized that the person outside of the car was him from the future. And he finishes off his post with this quote. Quote, I know it seems strange that I didn't recognize myself, but I look so different now than I did back then. When I recognized the man in the mirror as the man at the scene of my wreck, I was genuinely overwhelmed with emotion. I'm certain it was me. Unquote. It's an interesting story, and it, it, let's put on our conspiracy caps here to wrap this up. What it basically does is it turns the idea of guardian angels on its head. It's a guardian angel story with a, a dash of time travel. And it makes you ask the question, is it possible that guardian angels are us from the future? Now, not everyone recognizes their guardian angel, but very famously, there's that episode that I did, and this was a viral video. There was a man standing there, and someone walked by him and tapped him on the shoulder. And when the guy turned to look, there's this massive gate swinging towards him, and the dude jumps out of the way. And they never knew who the guy was who tapped him on the shoulder. It was, it was weird. It was really weird video. It, and you have to think, if that guy had not tapped him on the shoulder, he would have been grievously injured by this swinging gate. I'll put all that in the show notes. But Usually that's how guardian angels show up. So we have incidents like that where we can't prove it's them in the future. But when we look at this story and the guy's adamant, this guardian angel was myself from the future, what does that say about guardian angels? Are they us from the future? Are they? Is it some sort of mental time travel or spiritual time travel? No one else saw him there. No one else saw him there. Is it possible that his own consciousness reached in to the past to have this conversation with him? Because the... Terry in the future remembered how tragic the event was. So when the event happened in the timeline, the future Terry was remembering the event and manipulated the memory? Fascinating. Fascinating story. You can really play around with this. When I say time traveler, I'm not necessarily mean bleep, blop, bloop, we're sitting in a machine and it takes them back to that event. It could just be the consciousness, the spirit existing in two points in time at the same moment. And what I find intriguing about this conspiracy theory is when we talk about guardian angels, the question I always have is, how come everyone doesn't have one? How come for every video I can see of a guy dodging death because of a warning from a stranger, I watch another video of four people pushing this metal structure down the road And they hit the power lines and like they were pushing the structure. This is a real video, unfortunately. They were pushing this metal frame down the road and it had these four long poles on it. And the poles were tall enough to touch the power lines. And I'm watching this video and it's uh, four people being electrocuted to death because they hadn't they had misjudged the height. They probably never even thought of that. So where was their guardian angel? Like, there's video after video after video, and even not on video. There's scores of people who die in all sorts of ways. Either bizarre ways, like the one I described, or just fairly mundane ways. Where's their guardian angel? And it could be that guardian angels aren't this external force. They're us. There's something in us that's stretching across the timeline. That would explain why not everyone has a guardian angel. Because if you look at... The idea of angels themselves, these messengers of God, there's trillions of them. Like, numerically, I don't even think you can count them. They, I know with demons, they say there's 10,000 demons for every finger on the hand of every human. So that's a lot of demons... And demons are one-third of the amount of angels. So I, 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 that, those are estimates that have been put out by theologians. And there's definitely more than enough angels to, for every human to have a guardian angel. Or hundreds of thousands each. But they're not there. A lot of people die in avoidable ways. Is the phenomenon of the guardian angel different than angels as we know them? The guardian angel is actually yourself. Somehow you're able to... Expand your consciousness so it defies time and space. Is it something you can train? Is it something you can prepare for? Is the story of Terry just a fluke? Is it the result of massive head trauma? But if that was the case, how would he know what he was going to look like 20 years from now? It's a bizarre story and it may lead us down the path of finding out what the truth is behind the phenomenon known as guardian angels. Maybe when you are at your lowest point, maybe when your back is against the wall, maybe when your life depends on it, the only person you can count on to come to your aid is yourself. Radio at gmail.com is going to be your email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash deadrabbitradio. TikTok is at deadrabbitradio. Dead Rabbit Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but day. I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great one, guys.